Uh, so good to see you. I'm excited about, uh, we're in a series called uh, uh, Jesus According to John. We're looking at the, the, the Gospel of John. We're in our third week. Um, we've said that this book uh, is all about confronting us with who Jesus is. That's kind of the, 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 the purpose of John's writing. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at chapter 3, uh, which is no, no different. Um, we're going to be actually seeing a story, a famous story, of, of a person who is actually seeking Jesus, but is also in his seeking of Jesus gets confronted with Jesus, right? Because that's what, that's what he does. He, can, he confronts us with himself. Um, and uh, today we're going to be looking at, you know, John chapter 3. You might, you might, might already have put together. We are going to be looking at the, the most famous verse in probably all of Scripture today. Um, John 3.16. Uh, I'm sure you'll, well, they don't show it anymore, but they're there. If you're going to watch the NFL game today, later, um, there will be people in the stands holding up John 3.16, right? It's, it's at a, they're at every game. Um, they don't make it on TV anymore, but that's a rant for another day. Um, so we're just going to jump right into it. Uh, let's just in, invite the Lord's presence into his word. Uh, God, we, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for, for your presence that we have, we have already uh, experience through, through our, our worship. And um, God, we ask that your, your, your word, your scripture would come alive to us today. Um, would you challenge us where we need to be challenged? Would you expose the parts of us that need to be revealed so that you can, you can do your work in us and through us? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're just going to jump right in. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. One dark, uh, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Okay, we're going to stop there. So, uh, so here's the setup for the story we're going to look at. There's a guy, his name's Nicodemus. And, and we learn in just these two verses a decent amount of, about him. One, he's a Pharisee. What does that mean? He's a, a part of the religious uh, the, uh, the religious group that was, uh, the, they were kind of the enforcers. Um, this is the group that ultimately w was going to kind of go to war with Jesus and, and what he was saying and doing. Um, he, he was a part of that, that class. He was, um, it also says he was a religious leader. That means he was... Um, he was also, not only was a Pharisee, he was on what's known as the Sanhedrin, which was the, the ruling class. It would be kind of like, like the Supreme Court. Uh, all right, Israel, at this time, they were ruled by Rome, and so Rome had alter, ultimate authority. Um, but within their subjugated role uh, under Rome, the Sanhedrin was the highest governmental body in Israel. Okay, they, they, there, there was no, because of their history, um, you know, Israel was unique in that there was no separation of church and state, right? The church was the state. That was, that was the whole um, thing at this, at this point. It was, it was, it was the same kind of group. And so Nicodemus was a part of that. He was also, uh, we know he was wealthy, all right? So he, he, th this guy's got... From all earthly standards, this guy's got it going on, right? He, he's got, he, he's in the, 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 
the A-list of, of power and money and, and influence. And he goes at night to see Jesus, which is, is significant. Um, we know it's significant because, you know, the Bible, the more they talk about something, the more important it is. And uh, Nicodemus will show up throughout the Gospels a couple more times. And, he is, and this is now how he is referred. Like, this is his nickname. Because it's always um, Nicodemus, the man who went to see Jesus at night. Like, that's just his, that's like the back end of his name for the rest of the gospel. So we know that this is significant. Um, also, because people didn't go out that much at night. Right? We didn't, they didn't have street lights and Ubers and uh, cars and things. Going, going out at night was, was much more difficult and difficult. And dangerous, um, and just it, it, so if someone was doing that, it was out of the ordinary. Now we're we're not exactly sure why, what Nicodemus' motivation was. If we're being, if I'm being honest, some people, some scholars think um, because of his position, he and, and there was already tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. Um, there, there are a lot of scholars think that that. You know, he did this because he wanted to do it in secret. He didn't want to um, ruffle any feathers. He didn't want to be lumped in with Jesus or, or cause trouble. So he went at night so he, he wouldn't be noticed. Um, there's other people that, that think he, he went just because he wanted at night, because he wanted to have a private conversation. Because he just wanted, he wanted to speak to Jesus alone. And, and this was the best way to facilitate that. Because Jesus, at this time, you know, during the day, once he was up and people knew where he was, he was not alone, right? <laughs> Ever. Unless, he, you know, periodically he'd like run away from everybody and hide. Um, but other than that, there was no time during the day to really have a, a, a private conversation with Jesus. Um, and I think that I think that there's a there's a, a power in that a private conversation with Jesus that that I hope is a part of all of our all of our regular lives. Um, I, I you know church we talk a lot here about community and the power of community and the importance of coming together as a congregation and that is that is absolutely true and and, and right that we emphasize. It is an important step in our maturing in our relationship with Jesus. Um, but it is one step. We could say it's like a left step. Private conversations with Jesus, private meetings with Jesus is also a step. Um, it's, it's a, we'll call that one the right step. Um, and you need both. Because what happens if you only ever make left steps? This is not going to get you where you want to go, right? We need both. We need to, you need to have a, a, a corporate spiritual life and a private spiritual life. So anyway, we're not sure exactly why he came at night. Whatever the reason, we can see that, that, that Nicodemus, though, he's doing a good thing. He's seeking Jesus. He, he's, he's going to get some answers. He has seen enough and heard enough from Jesus and about Jesus that he needs uh, to resolve these things in his mind. He's got to figure out what he does in his, in his own heart, and his own mind with who Jesus is. Because he's been confronted by his actions Remember last week we talked about his actions, you know, he's 
He's, he's confusing. We talked about that last week, right? He's, he's, one day he's turning water into wine. He's the life of the party. The other day he's flipping over tables in the temple and scaring everybody. And, and so, so Nicodemus seeks him out. If we turn back to our text, we see how it goes. Uh, Rabbi, he said, that's Nicodemus. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. So here we, we, we have, the, so G, uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and here's the, the intro to the conversation. G, um, I think it's interesting, Nicodemus comes to him and he doesn't even get a question out. And Jesus is already jumping in on answering his question, addressing why he's there. You know, uh, Nicodemus is still in that, in, uh, he, he's still schmoozing, right? At the beginning of this, he, we all know that, that God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs or evidence. And Jesus is just like, I, I wonder if it's just, it's late, right? It's just like, maybe you woke him up. He's like, what? Okay, yeah. Hi, Nicodemus, nice to meet you. What? And Nicodemus is flowerly complimenting him and all these stuff. And it's almost like Jesus is like, we, I'm tired. Let, can we get to the bottom of this? I tell you the truth. You got to be born again, guy. All right. He just kind of cuts him off with the answer. But it's not one that Jesus really uh, connected with. Or not one that Nicodemus really understood. He, he, he says he has to be born again. And Nicodemus took it as a physical birth. So he's super confused. Which is understandable if that's how you would take it, because that would be very difficult to be born um, physically a second time, right? Uh, and so Jesus tries again. And verse, we pick up in verse 6. He says, humans can only reproduce uh, only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, you're a respected teacher, the uh, Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you of earthly things, how can you possibly believe me if I tell you of heavenly things? So Jesus tries to explain this again. And he tries to tell good old Nick what's going on, but he's still not getting it. And I think there's two reasons for that. There's two things that are kind of um, standing in Nicodemus's way. And I think there, there are two things that tend to stand in our way as well when we're trying to understand Jesus, when we're trying to um, understand the truth, when we're trying to, to, to hear from God, when we're trying to read scripture, both of these things, I think, are, are, can be impediments to us, just like they were to Nicodemus in this, in this moment. And the first is that he hadn't accepted that the truth is greater than his capacity for truth. 
Let's say that again. He, he, he hadn't accepted that the truth is greater than his capacity for truth. Verse 8, we're going to read it again. He says, the wind blows wherever it wants. And just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. There are, there, there are uh, some of us that have a hard time accepting that reality. But that's what Jesus said. So we should probably start working on accepting it. That you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. It is true. It is completely true. But the, the totality of that truth is beyond our capacity for truth. Does that make sense? Um, there are times when we struggle to believe the truth or even hear what God is asking of us because we are insisting on understanding when all that is required is acceptance and obedience. There are times when we struggle with, with this, this truth because um, we are an, on our side of things, we're insisting that we understand it and all God is requiring of us is acceptance and obedience. And those two things don't always jive. And some of the time, not all of the time, some of the time, the understanding you seek will only be, will only be found on the back end of acceptance and obedience. Sometimes not at all. <laughs> Sometimes we'll, you're never fully going to understand, but that, doesn't, that can't stop us from acceptance and obedience. Um, we, we've lost in our culture, I think, um, the value and the practice of wonder. And I mean that, you know, wonder can, can kind of take that in two ways, and I think we've lost both, to be honest. Uh, wonder is in that, that, that thing where we, we see something, like kids have, like my son Cohen has it in spades where he sees something and it grabs his interest and he just wonders about it, right? And you've, if you have kids, you probably, you know this, what, what happens next? For the next three hours, you're on your, on your phone, in Google, trying to answer questions of things you never ever thought or cared about ever before. But, but they have 17 million questions. He's just wondering, right? Well, what about this? And how about that? And what happens if this happens? It's wonder. It's questioning. You know, it's, it draws us interest. In, and so we ask the questions because we want to understand and engage it. But even more than that, we've lost our wonder just in, this, in the context of, of appreciating and, and, and experiencing Something that is just bigger than our understanding. You know, some just wonder where we don't, we're not trying to explain it all the way. We're not trying to understand it. We're just experiencing it for its grandness. Like, you know, going to the, the mountains or um, one of my kind of bucket list things I, I, I want to do one of these days is, is, is kind of go out west and, and get in one of those dark sky places and see real stars. Like, I've not done that. And I, 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 I there's some, there's a very real part of me that, that knows I am missing that, right? Like, there, that there, there is, there is a truth out there of what the sky is that it could be impactful to me that I've never experienced. Um, but that's, that's wonder. 
And we've, we've lost that. We've, we, we want everything to be in its nice, neat little box and have our, 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 you know, our three-sentence definition for what that is and understand how it works. We've lost our ability to wonder, and, and that can hinder our ability to, to understand and to be in relationship with God because he is nothing if not, well, we sing it, wonderful, right? That means more than just good. It means more than just right. It means literally full of wonder. There's, there's most of him that we can't possibly fathom or grasp, and we need to... to intentionally hold him in that space. And Nicodemus and us, sometimes we've, we've lost that. We want to have certainty, not faith. We call it a faith walk. We, we say we have faith in Jesus, but what we describe when we say that is a faith that is founded on all of the answers to all of the things with all of the understanding. And unfortunately, uh, that, that's not the definition of faith, right? If we go to Hebrews, I'll just read it real quick. Faith is confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. If we want to have a close relationship with Jesus, you're going to have to have, you're going to have more and more trust and see moments in your life, not less. That's, that's a, you know, Kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom, and that's something that we we struggle with sometimes. We we think, well, the more mature I get, the more I closer I get to Jesus, the more secrets He's going to tell me, the more I'm going to understand, the less questions I'm going to have, the less less things I'm not going to understand, right? And, and the truth is, that's not true. <laughs> the closer we get to Jesus relationally, the more. The stronger the relationship is, the more he can trust you to not need an answer. That's the real trust of uh, the test, the real test of a strong relationship is, is not how much you just know about the other person, but how much you can trust them. How much can you trust their word? How much can you trust them when they say, I-, I need you to do this? And you say, I don't understand. They say, trust me. How, how, how far does that go with you? The closer we get to Jesus, the, the more we're going to have trust and see moments, not less. And Nicodemus was struggling with that. Um, and we struggle with that. So that's the first reason, I think. And the second reason I think Nick was struggling was his religion was getting in the way. Um, it, it was the standard belief at the time that Israel... and. To some degree, this is, was true. Israel was the tro- chosen people, right? They have long history, God and Abraham and you know, Exodus and all those things. And, and God said, You're, you are my people. But the understanding of what that meant, that they had come to a place where they assumed that because they were God's chosen people, they were already in right relationship with God. Every one of them individually, just by nature of the fact that they were Jewish. They were born into the right family. The idea that something more was needed or something outside of being a Jew was necessary to be right with God just didn't compute with his uh, Nicodemus's worldview. 
he, 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 was a, he had assumptions in his logic, in his reasoning that was tripping him up. You know, it was kind of like a, like, like a riddle. You guys remember, you know, kids love riddles. What, the, at the foundation of almost every riddle, the, the reason they work is they prey on our assumptions. Right? A good riddle tricks you because it finds something that you assume, you just assume to be true that isn't necessarily true. Um, you know, like the, there's a, the classical one, you know, the, the guy is in an airplane with his father, it crashes, you know, and they rush the guy, everybody dies except the one kid, and he, they rush him to the hospital, and they go into surgery, and the surgeon goes, I can't operate on him, he's my son, and it's like, how could that be, because his dad died in the crash, I've heard this one before, and they you know, well, the answer is, well, it was his mom, right? But the, the riddle, the joke works because there, there's an assumption that we can tend to have where we don't even think about a female in that role. That's the, the, the faulty assumption that the riddle's based on. We, we do that in our own life. We do that with God, sadly. We have these assumptions. We assume that we're, we're already justified in certain actions and in, in certain things, um, and so we never revisit that part of it. And that was what Nicodemus was doing. He was already so sure that he was already in the right crowd. He was already in right relationship with Jesus. When Jesus is, as Jesus is telling him what he needs to do to be in right relationship with Jesus, it doesn't make sense to him because to him, he's already there. And sadly, there are many of us who have flawed assumptions that, are, uh, are, that we're already right with God. So we're making no attempt to get right with God. This is true of some of us for, for our salvation in itself. That we just, our understanding, our belief is, well, I'm, I'm you know, I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm better than I'm, I'm better than I am bad. <laughs> right? There's some litmus test here um, and as long as I keep above the water you know God will like me we know that's not that's not true that's not the that's not the the the, the test of salvation that's not how how God decides whether we are acceptable or not this is also true of our sanctification where we, there are things in our life, even this side of, of our salvation, there are things that we, we, we justify or we, we assume are, are okay with God that aren't. <laughs> but because we, uh, we assume that they are, because we don't ask that question that, hey, does it, it, we don't take an honest evaluation, hey, is, is my language uh, where you want it to be, Jesus? Is, my, is the way I spend my money, uh, does it line up 100% with what you would want me to do? If we don't, we don't ask those questions because we assume that we're already in the right, we never see the parts where we're in the wrong. Thankfully, um, Jesus is nothing if not patient. And especially with those who are humbly seeking him. And we see that with Nicodemus. So Jesus has tried twice. He's answered his 
question twice now, um, but he doesn't stop there. He, he tries again to explain. And, and although the text here doesn't, doesn't give us uh, Nicodemus' response, we do see evidence later in the story that, that it must have landed, right? Um, because Nicodemus will later try and, and we're not going to go there today, but later he goes and he, he's like in the Sanhedrin when they're really starting to go after Jesus. And he kind of tries to defend Jesus, you know, in kind of a sort of cowardly way. But, but he saw, he, you tell he's like on, trying to be on Jesus' side. And then, and then later at the end of, of Jesus' life, he will also be one of the two men that use their influence to make sure that Jesus receives a, a proper, albeit temporary, burial. Um, and so we, we know that this conversation landed in some way with Jesus. And how could it, how could it not make an impact? Uh, we're going to kind of read through the rest of this, this chapter, and we're getting to the, you know, the, the famous parts, <laughs> right? We're, in, we're about to hit read 13, 16. Um, but when we're, when, these are the definitive texts on Jesus' mission here on earth. Spoken by Jesus. This is, this is why, there's a reason this is the most famous passage in the world. Because it, it, it so succinctly uh, helps us understand what Jesus' mission was in just a few verses. And as we read them, um, just remember that this is, this is Jesus talking about himself. This isn't somebody else describing what Jesus did. Can you, can you just think of, um, think of that moment. Think of Jesus talking to somebody about himself. Verse 13, he says, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. So he starts off here with another claim of his divinity. Which, again, I point that out because there is a, a you know, there's always a group of people that are constantly trying to define who Jesus is and put him in one box or another. And one of the boxes was that he was man and never, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, yes, yeah, yeah, huh. like lots of times. And here's another one. <laughs> uh, he, he, so he, he has, starts off with this claim of divinity. And then... Um, he, he's speaking to an Old Testament scholar, right? Is Nicodemus knew the Old Testament. He, he, Nicodemus, by all accounts, had the entire Old Testament memorized. Like, you could point at him and be like, Genesis, go. And he could like read the whole thing, which to me is crazy. Um, but, but so he knew that. And so he, he creates a tie using an illustration from the Old Testament of, of what Jesus was here to do. In verse 14, he says, And Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. He's referencing this bronze snake. It's a story from the Old Testament where um, the people of, of Israel, you know, they got on their high horse again, and they, they were grumbling and, and causing problems. And so the Lord sends poisonous snakes among them, and they were start, the snakes started uh, as judgment, and the snakes started biting the, the Israelites, and they started dying. And so then the people came to Moses and said, we messed up again. Um, 
can you do something about it? These snakes really hurt. And so uh, <laughs> they ask him to pray to the Lord. And so Moses prays to the Lord. And then the Lord tells Moses, okay, we're going to get rid of these snakes. This is how we're going to do it. I want you to make a replica of the poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. And then raise it up. And then everybody... Uh, is to look at the snake on the pole, lift up their eyes and look at the snake in faith. And then anyone who looks on the snake in faith will be healed. And so Moses did, and the people did, and they were saved. Right? So that's the story. And you can, which is a weird story unto itself. Um, you know, it's just a bizarre story. It's a weird thing that God's using snakes. Um, you know, typically they're the bad guys in, in Bible kind of stories. But fast forward all these years, now you can kind of see the wisdom behind it, right? Because God is everywhere all the time. He, he's great at this. We see this over and over and over and over again in Scripture where he does something here that solves this problem, but he does it in a way because he knows in 2,000 years he's going to need an object lesson. <laughs> That's... Um, and so that's what we see here. Uh, he, he, he lifts up this, this snake. Um, you can see the connection. Jesus was going to be lifted up on a cross. And as we, we look to Jesus in faith, the poison of, of sin that is killing us is healed. You know, snakes represent, tend to represent sin in the Bible. So when Jesus is lifted up, he's lifted, the, our sin is lifted up on that cross and, and dealt with once and for all. And then Jesus goes, so that's the big picture, and he gives this Old Testament scholar an Old Testament illustration. And then he goes into more detail of why and how this is happening. And as we, we read these words, I want you to remember and imagine what it would have been like for Jesus to say these words. Fully God trying to call one of his own beloved creations to faith and relationship with himself. This isn't just, this isn't just some sermon. This isn't just some, some, some guy talking to another guy. This is literally the God of the universe having a conversation with one of his lost and broken people that he is trying to invite back into relationship He's also in that same moment, fully man, completely aware of the gruesome, painful cost that what he is explaining is about to happen. And it's with that reality, we hear Jesus say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's, that's a lot of love. The love of the Father to send his Son. The love of the Son to be willing to go. This is the heart and soul of the gospel and the scriptures. That, that it is motivated by God's love. This is the most famous verse for a reason God, let us never lose our wonder of this reality. That this is, this is what we get, literally what we get up for every day. And live in light of this truth. 
And he goes on to explain some more in verse 17. He said, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Listen, Jesus, Jesus loves us so much he came and, and died to save us. He also loves us enough to tell us the truth. And the truth is that uh, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world because that was already our default condition. And that is an important thing for us to understand and a, and a vital thing when we're sharing our faith with people that we help them understand. That, that our default condition is condemnation. Not because Jesus, not because Jesus came, but because of, of, of all the other things that had already happened. This is a, another critical truth. Jesus didn't come for condemnation. Uh, the fall did that. Our own actions did that, right? Every lie we've ever told did that. Every motive that we've acted on that was selfish did that. Every, every life we as a society have killed in the name of convenience, fear, or greed did that. We didn't need any help <laughs> deserving condemnation. And we have to, we, if we're going to come to Jesus right, if we're going to be in relationship with, with him in, in proper order, we individually have to reconcile and accept that reality. That, that I, I was condemned by default, by my fault. We, we have to accept that reality. And to the degree that we, um, we accept it, actually, I have a verse to back this up so I can say it. Uh, <laughs> the degree to which we we're willing to accept that reality and understand that truth, to a large point, is the degree we are going to appreciate and love God. Scripture says that he who's forgiven much loves much. And so we have to, we have to, uh, Jesus again confronts us with the truth, but again, it's for our own good. <laughs> if we keep going on verse 19, he says, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. He's going to give us another healthy heaping dose of truth here. Uh, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that, what, that they are doing what God wants. And that's the end of the story. And I think it's so interesting that this is, this is the end of the story. But it, it fits with Jesus' mission. Because Jesus said when he came... You know, it's no surprise. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Um, Jesus came in John, especially in John's gospel. It's about Jesus confronting us with who he is and then leaving us, forcing us to make a choice. And I think that's an important thing for us as, as Christians to understand that the gospel, presenting the gospel to somebody, sharing our faith the point of it 
is not to get somebody to be a Christian. The point of it is to be a faithful witness and to bring a choice to somebody. Anything beyond that is out of our control. That's between them and the Holy Spirit. That's God's responsibility. Because you're not smart enough, powerful enough, anything enough to actually change somebody's heart or mind <laughs> about God, right? That's on him. Our role, our role is to be faithful, to testify to what the things that we have seen and heard. And to, and to ultimately bring somebody to an opportunity of a choice. And that's what we see Jesus do here. Um, John doesn't, doesn't give us the end of the story. He leaves us right here at this, this choice. Do we want to sit and stay in darkness because we love our activity? Or are we going to let ourselves be exposed into the light? It's a choice for Nikki, and it was a choice for us. A choice we, we make once about being born again, right? We make that choice at one point in our lives. We finally are confronted with Jesus, and we, we get to the point where we're willing to acknowledge that, yes, I am a sinner. I deserve condemnation. But I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus and accept the forgiveness he offers and, and the, the guidance and the lordship that, that he, he, he demands. And we become a new creation. But that choice doesn't just stop there. We continue to make this choice every day to live in that same light. To let that light expose our ongoing um, wickedness. Because I... I I don't know if, if you guys are, are aware, but I am still not perfect. I know it's hard to believe. It's not hard to believe. <laughs> Follow me around for less than an hour, and it would be painfully obvious that I am not perfect. And, and you're not perfect. And most of us in this room, I think, would be willing to admit that anyway. Um, but this is, this, and, and because of that, this is a choice we continue to make every day. The sanctification that we have been, God's grace, thank God, has saved us for eternity. We, we, are, we are safe and sealed in him. But also we have a life that we can continually give to him and let him continue to expose the darkness within us so that we can be more and more and more and more in his light. It's a, it's a hard, it's a scary thing. But it's beautiful. And, and when you experience, it, it's, 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 like, it's like a lot of things. The more you experience it, the more uh, you get comfortable, the better you get at letting your darkness be exposed. You know, the first couple of times, it's terrifying. And there are certain things that, that you know, we say like to save the best for last. <laughs> there's, there's always something, you know, there's, there's, there's always that one, I don't know, but there's always that one room in the house that like you clean, you do your best, you organize, you do all the things, but there's that like one pile or that one spot that just conveniently never quite, you just never get to, 
right? Because it's just, it's just too overwhelming. It's just too whatever. You just keep that door locked and keep it moving. Um, but if we continue to, to, to work and let, let ourselves ex, uh, be exposed to the light, he eliminates things step by step by step. And eventually we get to those, those deep, dark closets. And it's scary and it's terrifying. But if you've ever had one opened and exposed, it's, it, you know, it, it may be painful in the moment. Most of the time, it's not as painful as we had built it up. And after, after he, he's walked in and seen the mess and we've received the forgiveness that, that we were expecting harshness for, and, 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 and he cleans it out, and, and, we're, and we're healed, and we're whole again. You know, it's like my neck surgery. I put it off for a year, because I was terrified. And then I had the surgery, and I've spent the last year going, man, why didn't I just do this? I could have been feeling this good a whole year more. That's what allowing ourselves to be exposed to the light looks like. Bow your heads, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you for your love. Thank you for reminding us in, in your word. Jesus, help us to just have a, a, a a new appreciation for, for, for your, just for your scripture, for this, these stories that, that these are real stories, real accounts of, of what you did. That you were in that moment with Nicodemus telling him how much he loved, you loved him, telling him how, how in, in spite of the fact that you, you, you were in your mind, you could picture the, the, the pain that was coming, you were still motivated by that love to pursue and answer his questions and, and call him close to yourself, just like you do to us. So if there's anybody here this morning that, um, I don't want to assume everybody here has, has made that decision. If, you, um, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if, you, if you've never accepted the fact that, or, or uh, confessed that, that you recognize that, that you are, um, you are a sinner and you need a, God, a big God full of grace and love to, to forgive you and to, to lead you. You can do that this morning just in your own heart, in your own mind. Just say, Jesus, I, I'm a sinner and I, I, need, I need you to save me. Would you forgive me of my sins? I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to trust that, that you, are, you are who you say you are and that I'm going to pursue you. I'm going, to, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live my life the way you want me to live it moving forward. For the rest of us, they're, they're, we probably have already prayed that prayer and, and are already in a, a real relationship with Jesus. Um. But this is a great opportunity this week as we're, we're entering the, the fast at the end of the week. To, um, I would encourage you to really take, take
take this fast. Uh, be as intentional as you can with it. The, the, fa- the, the, the progression that we're going to go through, the tabernacle prayer, is, is specifically designed to kind of walk us through the process of, of what it looks like to get in God's presence. And, and the, the, it'll ha- it has all the parts of, of what a, a spiritual relationship uh, is made up of. Um, thanksgiving to praise to to meditation to to confession and repentance and um, intercession praying for others all those things are wrapped in, up in it so uh, my 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 call to the rest of us is really to just pray about um, and commit to do the things we need to do so that we can we can uh, you can fast well this week or then uh, this weekend and then Purpose, you know, see whatever you can do in your calendar to, to, to be here Saturday so that we can come together and just seek the Lord in prayer together. So, Father, we, we give you our, in, our intentions. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your, pray, your presence this morning. Keep us all safe as we drive in the slop. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Happy Sunday.